Awesome. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Let's shout out today to uh, one another and ultimately to God. You ready to shout out? Uh, what do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? God, I love you and I love you. So, so glad you guys are here this morning. Um, Thanksgiving is now past. Phew, so we jump right into Christmas right away. Now, uh, that's a little bit of whiplash. The holidays may be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, some people try to start Christmas super early. Like my daughter, she uh, is singing Christmas in July. And so uh, I don't know about if you knew this, but like post 103, like at the beginning of November, they start playing, like three weeks ago, they, they start playing Christmas songs. And my daughter, she's like, dude, let's, Dad, can we put on Christmas songs? You know, come on, let's put them on the radio. And I'm like, heck no hard pass, you know, no chance that they're uh, at November 3rd playing Christmas music in my radio on my car. And I don't know about you. Look, I love Christmas. I really do. But uh, Christmas, when it starts in November like 8th, I mean, it's just a little bit too much for me. You know, uh, I went to Home Depot, and I'm expecting tools in November and stuff. And, and there were Christmas trees and decorations in, like, November. And I think it was even late October. They had Halloween stuff and Christmas things in Home Depot. And I'm like, I don't know. It kind of gets a little bit annoying to me. And I, and I love Christmas. No, nothing against Christmas. And... Uh, Sometimes it's a little bit too much. It, it just starts to feel like, uh, what are we doing here in October, November, and then now December? Uh, but as a pastor, Christmas is like a really big deal. It's like uh, Easter and Christmas are like, that's, that's your day as a pastor, right? And so uh, usually we dance around all the Christmas passages in the Bible because uh, you know every single year as a pastor you're going to have to give a Christmas message, so you don't want to, it's like keeping your powder dry. You don't want to like blow those verses. And so we know we're going to cover them, so we always wait till Christmas to talk about sort of the things that are around the Christmas season. However, uh, the problem is there's never enough time to cover all of the like really important and powerful and amazing verses that are all around Christmas that are really meaningful, not not the sort of fluff and this other kind of thing, but the really important, meaningful things about Christ and His birth and other spiritual implications that come with that. Uh, and so um, there, isn't never, uh, there isn't ever enough time if we try to cover all those on Sunday. So this year I was like, you know what? I want to spend four weeks getting our heads and hearts prepared for Christmas. So four weeks where we're, we're diving into Christmas. And, uh, and so I got really excited about this series. And then the problem, though, lies in... Uh, the fluff, right? The problem lies in, can you overdo it? Can, can you get annoyed by this? Will we have like these four weeks of Christmas and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of hearing about this because as a pastor, I don't want you to be like, oh, I'm so sick of hearing about this pastor. You know, that's like the worst possible idea. And uh, so that the Christmas sort of idea talking about it gets on your, your nerves even spiritually. For us though, I, I think I'm confident that this endeavor will have the opposite effect. Because if you're like me, it's the, the fluff of Christmas that kind of bothers you. For me, I, I was trying to think about it. What, what is it that Christmas in October bothers me? It's sort of that, that it's too much without meaning. It's too much whipped cream. Like whipped cream is really good. Whipped cream is fantastic on pumpkin pie. Whipped cream is fantastic, uh, uh, you know, on an on a ice cream sundae. But if you have whipped cream for dinner, and then someone tries to serve you whipped cream for for snack after dinner, because I have an after dinner snack, but I don't know if you have an after dinner snack. And then breakfast, they serve you whipped cream, and the next day is whipped cream. And it just gets a little bit much. And so rather than do whipped cream, we're going to have some really good meals around this Christmas so that it builds 
um, a reality of spiritual anticipation and excitement as we go into this season. So I think that after, after our four weeks together, you too will be able to say that there's never too much Christmas in the way that we're talking about spiritually. So the four weeks of this series are going to be divided like this. We're going to talk about uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist today. And the next week, we're going to look at the prophecies that we find about the birth of Jesus. So thousands of years before he's born, uh, what does the Bible have to say about that? And the third week, we're going to follow that up with uh, angels in Christmas. There's a whole bunch of angelic things going on, and so we're going to look at the angels in Christmas. And then we're going to finish uh, on, on Christmas Sunday for us with Jesus born, get the stars, the wise men, the manger, and the whole shebang. And so that's where we're going over the next four weeks. As we uh, build an anticipation, like a, a deep, meaningful anticipation for Christmas season that has a, a powerful meaning. And so even within the messages, like the messages I think will be pretty good one by one by one, but I really want to encourage you to, to if you're not able to make it, make sure you're watching online uh, because I think it's the package of the four weeks that we're going to do that really is going to give us this like, this, this I don't know how to say, like a, a good depth and and satisfaction at the end of this series. So, so uh, pretty excited about all of that. Oddly enough, we're going to bring uh, begin our series about uh, Christmas, not with Jesus. We're going to begin our series with a man named Zechariah. So, this man lived um, right before BC. So, he's living at about uh, 30 uh, BC to about 15 AD, somewhere around there. And Zechariah, he's got a wife. His uh, her name is Elizabeth. Uh, so, will you look with me here? Uh, about Zechariah. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, Herod's reign ends at, at 4 BC, so it's somewhere around there. Um, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of, the, uh, of God. They were observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they're childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they're both very old. So this we're talking about is Herod the Great time. Now, uh, Herod the Great is great at two things. He's great at building buildings, and he's great at killing people. And he kills his own family. He's a, like a hyper-paranoid sort of person. Uh, this is the guy who, if you know the Jesus story at all, tries to kill babies so that like uh, the Messiah can't come about, that kind of thing. We'll see him maybe a little bit later in this series. But uh, So this is Herod, Herod the Great we're talking about. And uh, then we see Zechariah and Elizabeth are this incredibly faithful priestly family. Priestly means they're from the line of Aaron. So for the Jewish people, you had to be born of a certain uh, lineage in order to serve as a priest. It couldn't be just anyone or by calling of God. Now, sometimes non-priests could be prophets. They, they could speak for God, but they couldn't be priests within the temple. Uh, and so during this time, um, adult males who were from the line of Aaron, they would all uh, rotate in serving in the temple. Originally, there was just a few priests, and they would serve constantly every single day. But this is the priesthood was established thousand years before, and so by this time, they, there's about uh, twenty or thirty thousand men who who come from the line of Aaron that can all serve as priests. And so they're not able to do it day by day. There's not enough funds to pay them all, and the, and there's just simply not enough work. The the temple isn't an entire uh, massive structure, and so what they would do is they would rotate everyone who's from this lineage, and they would come in in sections. And so it would be like you know, uh, just like we do like small groups. So if we let's say we said okay, South County small group, they're going to be serving lunch, and then oh North County's going to, and then online people, and then so rotate it sort of like that, so they would have time, and so. Um, they would come and they would do the caretaking of the temple, and there were a couple of ritual duties they all did, um, and we're going to see that right here. 
Once when, uh, this one time when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as the priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now this is considered an honor because there's like 30,000 people. And so, so uh, you'd come with your group of maybe 500 to serve for a month or two. And uh, it would be like there would be a lottery each day. Who's going to get to go inside and do this uh, lighting of the incense? They put out the showbread, this kind of stuff they do on a daily basis. But, but this is probably a once-in-a-lifetime uh, experience. Maybe a couple of times he gets to come serve as a priest. But then within that time, he actually gets to be the one who goes in and lights the incense. And you're like, who cares? Well, the incense is they would pick one of the priests to go in each day and he would light the incense and as he's doing it, he would pray over the nation of Israel and he gets to go in there alone and like be in the, the most holy place that the, not, there's a holy of holies, but he gets to be in this like holy place where it's just him and God and praying for the nation and that stuff and gets to light that candle and, and come out and then he prays this blessing over the people when he comes out after lighting this incense. So it's really cool honor and uh, he would offer this praise. And, and the incense in the Bible, whenever you see it, incense is a symbol of prayers. As the smoke rises to heaven, like the prayers rise to God. And so um, that's why even some Christians do that now. They light a candle when they're praying or they light incense when they're praying. And it's okay to do that if that's you because you light that. And as that smoke rises to heaven, so God, my prayers are rising to you. It's a really cool symbol. It's a, a kind of a spiritual activity. If you ever want to do that on your own, that, that's a fantastic thing to do. And Jeremiah gets to do it. I mean, uh, Zechariah gets to do it at the temple. So... He gets chosen. He's probably pretty stoked. This is going to be, and it, you know, it's a sort of random lottery when your group is there and you're not very there very much. And they're probably excited and they draw his name. And he's like, yeah, I get to do it. I'm so excited. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's cool duty. So in the middle, of, he goes inside. In the middle of his prayers, he's doing this God thing, goes inside, lights the candle, doing his prayer. I mean, lights the incense, doing his prayer. And then this happens. Then an angel of the Lord appears to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he startled, and he was like gripped with fear. Now, that's not so, you're just supposed to go in like the candle, come out, right? And he goes in, and there's this angel like, and he's like, ah, freaking out. And the angel's like, yo, chill. He said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and, and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you, and, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Man, this was indeed unexpected for him. So uh, going into that temple, they do it every single day. It's sort of like a ritual duty. Now, as Christians, you know that we do sometimes stuff out of ritual. And um, I don't know if we always ex expect like a spiritual encounter. I mean, we're supposed to probably, right? And, and maybe, yeah, an internal spiritual encounter. We want to come with God. It, so it's like someone, if you've ever passed out communion and been on an ushering team, that's a ritual duty. Are you passing out communion? That person passing out communion, they're not expecting like an angel to show up and like, ah! Like they're doing a spiritual ritual and all of a sudden this totally different thing happens and it becomes so much more. And the angel says, God's heard your prayers. And then he says something weird and you're tempted to think that this is what he was praying about. He says, God's heard your prayers. 
your wife is going to have a baby. So you're tempted to think that he's praying about having a baby, but he's not. The Bible's already told us that he's old. His wife is old. Old means no more babies. She's past menopause. He's not in the temple praying for a baby. That would probably, it would be a really awkward prayer to pray that kind of selfish thing as you stepped into this national, your national temple to God. There's no way Zechariah was praying about himself because he's got to come out of there and then he's got to pray a prayer of blessing over the people and then the priests that were around, they would repeat that prayer of blessing out so all the people would be able to hear it. And so, so he's not sitting there going, God, give me a baby. There's no way. That, that's not on his, that, that was a prayer request 30 years before, but it's not a prayer request that day that he's there. There's way too much other things going on. It's nearly impossible, I think, that he's praying that. And, and yet the angel says, God heard your prayer. Great job, good job. But there's something else he's going to do to you. He's going to give you a baby. And, and this has got to be super confusing. So he's in there. It's supposed to be ritual. The angel shows up. He's terrified. And then he was praying about like Israel and blessing for his family and people to, and then all of a sudden, God, uh, this angel said, you're going to have a baby. And he's like, baby? And then he goes, that baby is going to be used to usher in the Christ. Christ or Messiah is, is this huge word that's used in, uh, by the Jews and, and indicated in the Old Testament an idea that God would one day save his people permanently, save them from their sins and, and save them from their oppression. They've been looking forward to this for the entire existence of the Israel nation. And he just heard that from the angel that your son is going to usher in the Christ. Your son is going to usher in the, the Lord, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. But how do you get your mind around that? He's sitting there. He just went to go in and light the prayer and do the prayer thing. He wasn't trying to get all this. But this powerful, crazy thing happens. And, and so this is our first indication that this family is important for Christmas. This baby to be born would be tasked with preparing the way for the coming Lord or the Christ of Christmas. The angel Gabriel commands the baby to be named John. And I'm like, looking at this this passage, I'm like, why did, he, why did he pick the name John? Is there something about that? John's a really common name at the time. And then I'm waiting for the angel to tell why. The angel doesn't say why. The Bible never says why. And I'm like, dude, why, do you, why John? But we don't know. So that's your answer. So um, Zechariah hears this. He's a bit skeptical. I don't know about you. I'm a little skeptical a lot of times. Angel just told him he's going to have a baby and the Christ is coming. That baby's going to usher in the coming of the Messiah. Now we know how it turns out because we've read the Bible and you've been to church a little bit. But but it hasn't for him. This is like not history. This is like his life presently. And he's like, uh, okay, I'm trying to track. I think I got it. And Zechariah asks the angel, well, how could I be sure that like, this is real or this is going to happen? How, how could I be sure of this? And this is in uh, Luke 1.18. He asks the angel, how could I be sure of this? So I'm an old man. And my wife, she old lady, <laughs> she's well along in years. He says it very nicely. Even then, it was probably important to say it carefully, how, talking about your old lady. Uh, my wife is well along in years. He said he's old, but she's well along in years. Doing well in those years, I'm sure. And the angel says to him, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> I didn't ask, but I'm still terrified. Uh, he said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Ooh. Meanwhile, 
the people are waiting for Zechariah, and they're wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. He's just supposed to light the thing, give a prayer, and come out. When he comes out, he couldn't speak to them and tell them what was going on, and they realized that, that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making, like, signs. They could do a Pictionary back then, or, or, or whatever that is. When you, Pictionary is when you draw charades. He could do charades back then. So he couldn't speak. They realized he'd seen a vision, for he kept making signs to them, uh, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife, Elizabeth, uh, after that, she became pregnant. And uh, she hung out by herself in seclusion for five months. And she's like, the Lord has done this for me. She said, in the days he's shown favor and taken my, away my disgrace among my people. And I, I love how uh, Zechariah gets muted by the angel, right? The angel's like, I'm Gabriel. I ain't playing, man. We're talking about Christmas here. So he's like, you know, like, Shh, don't you doubt any of this. I love it. He said, we're talking about Christmas. The folks outside wondering what happened. He took longer than he's supposed to. And uh, at this time, only one person's allowed to go in, so they can't go in and, like, see if he's okay. They just have to kind of wait. When he comes out, he's supposed to give that prayer over the people and the blessing. So he comes out, and he's like, and they're like, what's going on? And then he does his charades thing, and they kind of figure it out. Uh, what a crazy time that's got to have been, right? For Think about that in reality. Like We look at back, back like, like, a, like a movie or a history or something that doesn't affect us, but, but these were actual real people. Can you imagine that happened to you? And then uh, you're, you're old, so I would say even older than myself. Uh, you know, it's someone, he's maybe 80 years old or, or 70 years old, and, and uh, can you imagine the conversation uh, between his and wife, his wife and him as they're walking home, and she's like, there's no way I'm getting pregnant. And he's like, and she's like, yeah, I guess, you know. Uh, I guess that the angel said. I mean, I don't know how he told her eventually, figure out, wrote it out or talked it out. But they didn't just have, like, he can't type it out, no notepad, chisel it in some stone. Papyrus is super expensive. It's like a, a, a book is the price of a car, so he can't just, like, write a note to her. So at home they're, like, scratching in the dirt to try to figure out what he learned. Probably took her five minutes to figure out that she was pregnant from the angel, and then it was like a miracle. And so, um, can you imagine those conversations as they await the birth of their son John, who they were told to name him John? Something else is going on at the same time where Elizabeth is waiting and, and Zechariah is waiting. At the same time, a few months later, uh, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Luke one twenty six says this: In the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sends that same angel Gabriel to Nazareth, and now this might sound a little familiar, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and even if you don't go to church, you, this probably rings pretty familiar if you're uh, in the Western world. So, oh man, here's like the, the Jesus Christmas part coming up. This angel shows up to Mary, and then he tells her like, this virgin's going to have a birth. Uh, he tells Elizabeth, uh, you know, your cousin Mary's, uh, I mean, your relative Mary's going to have a baby. She's a virgin, this kind of stuff. And, and uh, we're going to look more in depth about what this angel says to Mary because we're going to deal with angels in, in another week. Um, but suffice it to say, he says to Mary, uh, you guys know this, that you're going to have a baby and he's going to be the Christ or the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people and the Savior of the entire world so that all people will be blessed through this person he's going to be god in human flesh christmas and he tells uh, at the same time he tells mary your relative elizabeth is also pregnant miraculously mary writes a song and then and then she does this 
in uh, Luke 139. At the time Mary got ready, she hurries down uh, to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth. So the first thing she does, she praises, writes a song out, gets excited, and she goes, I'm going to go see, maybe to verify, to see if this is true, I'm going to go see if, if Elizabeth really is pregnant. She runs down there. When, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women! Blessed is the child you will bear! But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? This is a really interesting phrase, phraseology. As soon as the sound of your greetings reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Now, Mary just walked in, and all of a sudden, Elizabeth is dropping truth that we know and we understand, but, but she shouldn't know these things. But the Holy Spirit is working her, and she says, Blessed are you, your baby is the Lord. Now, Elizabeth is older, and, and um, Jewish culture is very like uh, Asian culture. Older people never call younger people, my Lord. They never call them, oh, you're, you're better. They never get this higher position, but immediately, Elizabeth is like, oh, Blessed are you the carrier of the Lord, and she lowers herself and, and rises up Mary and ultimately rises up the baby that Mary's carrying. And she said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this is happening. And she knows that the Holy Spirit is filling her and the Holy Spirit is filling her baby, John, in the womb. Pretty powerful. Mary had walked 90 miles to come visit her and, and this is her opening statement that is pretty odd one. She knows it's the Lord being carried by Mary and and, and she blesses Mary for it. She recognizes the Christ even before he was born. And so does her baby. Now we're like, oh, like this sounds, it's like history to us. But you've got to remember, Jesus hasn't been born. He didn't rise, he didn't have disciples, and he hasn't died on the cross yet. None of those things have happened in their reality. In their reality, they have this promise of something that's going to happen. And Elizabeth is talking like Christ talk, Lord talk, Savior talk. Holy Spirit's on them. These babies are boom, 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 bouncing around, you know. Pretty crazy. This is, I would say, one of the most powerful pro-life arguments for the idea that a person is a person inside the womb. Because Elizabeth, it's told us she's in her second trimester. Mary's in her first might be within a few weeks, first month, first trimester of her pregnancy. And both unborn babies were who they are, if that makes sense. Both unborn babies were who they are, John and Jesus respectively. And the Holy Spirit is working in them, even in an unborn baby. Jesus is the first trimester, John's the second trimester. And the Holy Spirit is already moving so that a baby reacts to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so I think that that's uh, an incredibly powerful pro-life argument, but it's also an incredibly powerful thing that's going on that indicates to us that something, not just bells and lights and, and candy canes and presents is coming, something really significant is about to happen where babies are filled with the Holy Spirit and being like, do, 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 do. that's him. I'm what? And John was tapping out some Morse code. That's the Christ. You know, like, I don't know what he was doing inside there, but leaping around. So I said, can you imagine the conversations earlier with, with uh, Zachariah and his wife? Can you imagine the conversations that they had that they spent the next couple of months getting plumper and plumper, both of them? Like, 
strange conversations like, how weird is this? Or like, how miraculous is this? Or I'm totally overwhelmed by my life right now. That, can you imagine? Like we look back in hindsight. Remember, we're hindsighting it, and they don't know there's a, a Jesus on the cross. Do they have any concept? Like that song says, Mary, did you know? Like you're say, carrying the Savior. Like people saying that kind of talk. But it's interesting to, to say it versus like living that reality. Something powerful is going on. So uh, Mary seems to stay with John, uh, I mean to stay with them until John is born. And then she leaves. In uh, Luke one fifty six, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. So Elizabeth, she got there six months, three months later. I'm not great at math, but, but that's probably about when the baby was born. And so then she returns home. And the Bible expands here. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they, they came to circumcise the child. That's the custom of the day. And they were going to go uh, name him after his father, Zechariah, because that's traditionally what you would do. But his mother spoke up, and she said, No! His name is going to be called John! And her family's around, and they're like, uh, no, that's dumb. Uh, there's no one among your relatives that's named that. That's like, it's a nice name, but not that you, that's not how it works. That's not how you're going to name him. And then they, they said, yeah, ask Zachariah. He'll, he'll take our side. Then they made signs for his father to find out what he'd like to name the baby. And uh, he asked for a writing tablet. And then to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And when he finally does that, now it's been nine months, God's like, okay, now you could speak. I, I had you shut up long enough because you weren't gonna, you're gonna blow this thing. You're gonna mess it up, John. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes men are dumber than women. <laughs> He's like, kept him muted so he didn't screw everything up. And so, at that point, immediately his mouth was open, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors there filled with awe, and they're like, what's going on? People throughout this hill country of Judea, they're talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this, they started to wonder about it, and they're asking like, what? What, what is this going to mean? What's this child going to be like? This sounds too crazy, too amazing. And the Lord's hand was with him. So this is fulfilling Gabriel's, uh, Gabriel's promise. Mary said, you'll have a baby. And, and uh, here now she has a baby. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And his father prophesied. Now, if ever you read your Bible, I don't know about you, but uh, you're reading in the good part, and then it comes to like someone has a song or something, and you skip that, right? That's a for sure skip. At least it's like a commercial to me. I'm like, ah, okay, what's going to happen next? What good part is next? They're like, and then Mary's song was, and you're like, skip. And Zechariah's prophecy was, skip. And then the names of their, skip. You don't want to know their names, you know, like those genealogy names. Those are parts you skip, right? And you almost, maybe you've skipped this part, but, but this part, where Zechariah prophecies is incredibly important. And I want you to listen carefully to his prophetic words and be reminded, so move yourself back to the position of maybe a listener as Zechariah speaks this out. Jesus hasn't been born. There's no such thing as Jesus. There's no such thing as dying on the cross yet. It doesn't exist. Sins aren't forgiven, that kind of thing. So listen to his prophetic words in light of that, as if this is the first time I'm hearing about I've been waiting for the Messiah my whole life, my people's whole lives, and here's the prophecy. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He's come to His people and He's redeemed them. Man, that's redemption language. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said He would through the holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, 
but to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, you'll be called a prophet of the Most High, for you'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven and shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. It sounds like Paul's writing this. It sounds like someone who's after Jesus is dead and resurrected is writing this. This language of forgiveness of sins because God's mercy and that, that peace will come through it, that, that, isn't, that isn't Old Testament talk. If you read your Old Testament, that's not how it is. The Old Testament is, turn back to God or you shall die. That's it. And this is something completely different. And it's not Zechariah's word, it's prophetic. Because this, now we know it happens, but it hasn't happened in his time frame. So exciting. And then the child grew and became strong in spirit. And this is the child John. And he lived in the wilderness where he, uh, until he appeared publicly to Israel. He his parents are serious about their calling from God. He lives in the wilderness for 30 years. Now, it's not like Mowgli where they throw him out with the be raised by the tigers because you know where they live? They live in the wilderness too. They remember they live in the hill country of Judea. That's, that's what they call wilderness. Now, wilderness in Jewish people is just rocks and desert. That's wilderness, not like jungles and, and tigers and bears and oh my. And so uh, he grows up. Uh, we see exactly what John has to do here with Christmas. His life will be all about the Christ. He is born to be the usher in of the Christ. And their births are a mere six months apart. They're linked in family heritage and in spiritual calling. John is the forerunner, like, like physically and literally, of Christ, and he's also the spiritual forerunner of Christ. John and his parents take that responsibility seriously, and so they set their son apart. So it sounds like a vow of the Nazarene in the Old Testament where they don't take wine and they don't, take, they don't cut their hair and and this kind of like serious, serious commitment their whole life. And he trains for 30 years in the wilderness. And when he's ready, when Jesus is ready, he's going to emerge and he's going to start preparing that way. And then that's where that famous John the Baptist part comes where he's calling Israel back to them. And, and then he baptizes Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes. And that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the, the sort of the end of John's ministry, ultimately getting imprisoned and beheaded. So today we're looking forward to celebrating Christ's birth on Christmas. I think in the same way that Zechariah is looking forward to Christ's birth. If you hear his prophecy again about the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins because of God's tender mercy is about to come here. And so Zechariah is like, oh, I can't wait till that happens. And I think we sit in that same position. Zechariah had this hope and excitement and confidence in God's provision that Christ would Christ, the Christ's birth would change everything, and it did. And so here we have it. Christmas only exists if there's a Christ. We believe that Christ is this Jesus of Nazareth, God in human flesh actually being born in human form in order to become our Savior. Christmas is all about this reality. That's why this series is exciting. Not because of the fluff of Christmas or the bells or the decorations 
or the colors, which are all fine and amazing, and I love them, and the presents and the lights and the family and the food. But it's about something so much more. It's about this reality. And we celebrate Jesus' birth precisely because he's the Savior. Not just because there was a miracle going on, but, but because the Christ that's born grows up to be the Savior on the cross for each of our sins to rescue us. Christmas is the beginning of God's plan for the rescue of every sinner. The beginning of his plan for salvation of every human being on this planet. And so I think that we can never have too much of this type of Christmas. As our praise band comes up, I want to ask you to allow your hearts to to go back to this time of Elizabeth and Zechariah. I mean, today is a, and that's a really exciting passage for Elizabeth and Zechariah. Their son's born, but the Christ hasn't been born yet. And I, I want you to allow yourself to kind of enjoy the feeling of anticipation that they must have felt, the buzz around the circumstances and the excitement that started to build as the promise of Christ was being fulfilled in their lifetimes. Allow it this morning to put a smile on your face. Maybe to allow our anticipation to begin as we approach Christmas for us. Now, it's a past Christmas, but, but as we approach it in our hearts to celebrate God, maybe allow that anticipation to start to build in you. Partake in the excitement that Elizabeth and Zechariah must have had. An angel showed up to them and said, there's this cool miracle that's going to happen. And it's not just like, it's for your joy, but it's for the salvation of the world. What a, what a amazing, amazing moment of anticipation and excitement. So let's, let's join our hearts back with them and put our hearts back on what Christmas is about as we anticipate celebrating with our families and as a church family. So we're going to do that and then we're going to sing a song together.